Let's start off in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Again, Peter now, he starts a whole new thought for us here as he ends with the practicality of our holiness and how we should be acting and living as holy because of all that Christ has done for us, because of the cost of our salvation, the most precious substance ever known to mankind, right? We've talked about the only substance that God can never replicate or recreate. It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now in this, he tells us, hey, this was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Again, God's plan of salvation for us, it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a mistake. God was not found needing to respond. God wasn't caught on his toes and now he had to make a quick decision on how to fix this. He had foreordained this since the beginning of time, since before that. That word foreordained, it's to know beforehand, right? It's not like when you're just driving and all of a sudden you get a flat tire and now you have to stop and pull over. Hopefully you guys know how to change your tire, right? That'll be the next uh, men's study, how to change a flat tire. Uh, But you have to pull over and change your tire. No, this is something foreknown and pre-planned out. It reminded me about, I'm not good with time, my wife's good at time. But about 10 years ago, I came up with a plan. And I had thought about, oh, how I want to propose to Amanda. So I went through this plan. I went through this planning process. I had to find a place. Had to be in the water, but not too crazy. Had to be able to throw up those floating lanterns, but not get in trouble on somebody else's property. So I found the perfect spot, but it was in the middle of the woods in the Keys, right? So we had to clear out the spot. We went a week before with some guys. We cleared out the spot. Then I planned the dinner place. We ate at the dinner with the family. Then there was a magical rowboat that just appeared there by the water, right? Then we went out on the boat, and the sun was setting, and Amanda knew that engagement was coming at any moment. The sun was setting, and it was perfect, and then she was getting annoyed at me because I was just rowing, and just rowing, not talking to her, just rowing, because I see her, she sees me, but she doesn't see what's behind her is 50 people walking around on the shore with floating lanterns that they're about to light up. So she's getting mad. She's getting annoyed. Why aren't you talking with me? This is the perfect moment to engage. We're out in a rowboat in the middle of the keys. The sun is setting. What is wrong with you? You're not even talking to me. And then once sun started to set that it got dark enough, the lanterns are floating. And then I was able to get on one knee and ask her to marry me, right? That was foreordained. That was pre-planned. We didn't just get there and, oh, wow, this is, this is nifty. I got a ring in my pocket. I'm here with my friends and my family. Ah, there's a bow here. This is perfect. That, our salvation was not like that. It was all pre-planned and foreordained by God himself. Again, that's how much he cares about us. That's how much he loves us, that he's pre-planned, he's foreordained, he's known before the foundations of the world how he was going to be able to save us. 
And again, sometimes, and I've heard this as a common theme when uh, ladies get engaged, they get frustrated because they want a certain thing, but they don't know all the things that the guy's doing in the background. Think of our other friend, uh, Marvin and Lindsay, and they were ice skating, and he wanted them to go in the middle of the rink, and she's like, what's wrong with you? You never skate against traffic. What are you doing? She's getting mad at him and frustrated with him, right? And I believe many times we can be frustrated with what God wants for our lives. God, why does salvation have to be like this? Why does it have to be by faith? Why do I have to trust in him? Lord, this is what I want. Lord, this is what I think. And what we're missing out on is a tremendous blessing from the Lord. I don't want to give up on my sin. I don't want to give up on this. But why does it have to be this way? And God's trying to bless you immensely. But again, it was foreordained. It was in the plan and genius of God, the creator of heaven and earth. It's the same mindset in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It tells us he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, all of this has been pre-planned. He's seen it. Again, God outside of time, seeing everything that's gone on, he's chosen us. He's picked each and every one of us to be his son or his daughter. And now we get the extra blessing because it was manifest in these last times for us. We're able to see the whole entire scripture. Again, people around Jesus, they just had their Old Testament, right? They just had the Torah, and they're trying to share the gospel through the Torah of what God had done for them. We get to see it all. And now in verse 21, it tells us it's through belief in him. It's through belief in him. So this was pre-planned. That's incredible enough. Then it was manifested in these last times for us, which it's a greater charge on us to live lives of holiness. Because we don't just have the Old Testament. We don't just have the plan, but we have the plan and the manifestation of the plan. So now we should be living even more in holiness, and we get to access this plan through faith. It's through our belief in him. You can go back there to Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it gives us the truth of this incredible salvation that we get to be a part of, that we get to have and own. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we're going to see this sort of process in these three verses almost copied and pasted throughout a ton of scriptures tonight. It's all through faith. It's all through grace of God. Now we get saved, and now we get saved so that we can do good works and we should do and should be doing good works we don't get saved by the works we get saved by grace and god but once we're saved the reasoning for it is so that we would do something with it peter lombard he says to believe in god expresses an internal trust by believing to love god by believing to go into him and by cleaving to him, we are incorporated into his members. 
This is the part I love. By this faith, the ungodly is justified. So that thenceforth, faith itself begins to work by love. Again, our belief in God, it shows God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I believe in you. God, I want to be close to you. And now when we do this, not only are we justified, but now that faith is able to be worked out by love. In John chapter 15 and verse 4 and 5 again, Jesus gives us this same mindset. It's through belief. It's through faith. We got to be close to God. And when we're close to God, our lives are able to show evidence and fruit and work. John chapter 15 verse 3 It tells us, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Again, family, we can do nothing unless we're abiding in him. And the way we abide in him, it's by faith in him. That's how it all starts, that faith and that believing in him. Now we're believing to abide in him, and then he abides with us. And when that abiding is taking place, we will bear fruit. So the question for us tonight is, are you bearing fruit? Is the fruit of God in your life? Is there evidence of your abiding with the Lord, right? Maybe you've seen that face on someone, right? You look at someone and they're a little extra smiley, right? They're a little extra happy. And you say, this guy's in love, right? Something's happening to this person, right? Is there that evidence within us? Because if we're not abiding in him, we're not going to bear fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit today, the question is, Lord, am I really abiding with you? Am I really spending time to dwell with you and sit at your feet? Because if we're not, you cannot bear fruit. You can't do it in and of your own self and in and of your own strength. It's a byproduct of spending time with God. It, then it goes on back to 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So not only do we just believe that he is God and that he loves us and that he has salvation for us, but we need to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. We need to believe in that. Again, the day and age we live in, we were talking with some of the pastors before this, we have our meetings sometimes, we were talking about crazy things, right, with gender and marriage, and they're saying, people believe that? And I said, guys, today they published something to be more gender neutral in hospitals. They're not allowed to say breastfeeding anymore. Now they have to call it chest feeding. And this is today in the news. I'm saying, guys, this is the day and age we live in. 
So again, for us, not only do we just have to believe, oh, there's God, right? Lots of people say, God, thank you, God. No, we need to believe in God, in Jesus Christ, that Jesus was raised from the dead, in the Trinity, in the virgin birth. We need to be reminded and grounded in these truths because things are just going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. So again, do we believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Because if we believe that, then guess what? We will also be raised from the dead. That's the hope that we have. That's why our faith and our hope, as it tells us there in 1 Peter 1, our faith and hope are in God. Now we go to Romans chapter 6. And again, the same mindset here. If we have that belief in God, we're going to abide with him. We're going to dwell with him. And then we're going to walk in the good works that he set up for us. If we have that faith in him and we believe that he's been raised from the dead, now we also one day will be raised from the dead, right? What a great salvation we have. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 through 7, it tells us, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, what a great salvation we have. Because Jesus died, he took our place. And now because Jesus resurrected, we get to follow him and we resurrect once we die. And again, there's many layers to this. The first layer is that Christ's death and resurrection was the game changer for all of humanity's relationship with God in this foreordained, pre-planned, pre-known plan. God sending his son to earth and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ allows us to now come near to God. Not this Sunday, but next Sunday we'll be looking in Exodus when God meets Moses on the mountain. And God basically gives a laundry list of things to do before he even gets there. He says, okay, I'm coming. So you got to be clean. You got to be pure. You got to wash yourself. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't touch the mountain. He says, if any of your animals touch the mountain, you're all dead. Don't let anyone touch the mountain. Anyone touches the mountain, they are dead, right? I don't know if they grabbed parking lot cones or yellow tape or what they did, but no one was allowed to touch the mountain. That was our and man's relationship with God beforehand. We had to fear God. He gave us access to him, but we had to be fearful of him. He exists in the mountain. He exists up there, and we got to be careful. Now, we will be struck dead. But now, because of Jesus, he tells us to come. He says, come. 
You're tired, you're weary, you're thirsty? Come. You're exhausted, you're sick of this world? Come. You're in a bad season of life? Come. That's the difference because of what Christ has done for us. And again, the power of his resurrection, that now when we are faced with death, we have power. This life is not forever. This life is not forever. And that, to me, is every single Christian's greatest test, is when death is on the horizon. How will we live? Will we all of a sudden be freaking out, throwing in the towel, saying, forget this? Or will we, even though we may be scared and fearful, march on through saying, hey, this is what I've been waiting for, is to see him face to face, right? Like Paul, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to be screaming. No, I'm about to go on a cruise, man. And this is going to be good. This is going to be great. My departure is at hand. Again, Jesus' death, it's our anchor into heaven and heaven for all of eternity, his death and resurrection. A.R. Faust said, he says, remember God having raised and glorified Jesus as the anchor of our faith and hope in God. And so keep alive these graces. Apart from Christ, we could have only feared, not believed, and not hoped in God. Again, the power of Christ. I don't know if you've ever been to a party or a function that you have no business being a part of, but you know someone, and because they're there, you get to go in. So someone goes, who are you? And you say, I'm with him, right? And I've ever been there. Sometimes my dad takes me to pastor's meetings, and I'm like, I'm just with him. I don't know why I'm here. I don't deserve to be here. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm with him, right? And that's what we get to have in heaven. When we get there, it's not because of our works. It's not because of how many times we attend the church. If we have been abiding with Christ, we just get to say, hey, I'm with him. I'm with him. That's the only reason I get to be in here is because I'm with him. We continue back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Now in verse 22, it tells us, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. And the grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So again, backtracking, beginning of verse 22. We, right, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Again, when we put our faith in God, trusting in Him, believing in His love, and cleaving to Him and holding Him, it then purifies our soul. That process of taking that step of faith, we get connected to the Holy Spirit and our souls get purified. You could just write down Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. It tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. Again, our salvation is by faith and the only way we can continue to please Him, it's by faith. Again, our stance on morality, even in the day and age we live in today, there's many reasons to show that it is the best way. But even if you don't think it's the best way, you need to do it by faith. And it will slowly but surely cleanse your soul, right? That quote, the faith of the ungodly is justified so that thenceforth faith itself begins to work by love. When we're cleaving to God, 
The Holy Spirit purifies our souls. And it's shown through the obedience of Scripture. Has your soul been purified? A great way to see is, man, am I being obedient to God's Word? Am I being obedient to God's Word? Am I delighting in being obedient to God's Word? And again, the Holy Spirit is the one who cleanses us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 2, it told us there, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. Again, as we abide with Him and spend time with Him, the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit cleanses us, and now the more we obey, the more both of those things grow. And when those things are growing, we will have the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? You guys know. What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then that love is manifested with joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what is the complete obeying of the truth in the Spirit? It's having that love. And then Peter tells us here, what kind of a love is it? It's in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. This is when we really know that we are being obedient to God's Word and the Holy Spirit. It's if we have a sincere love of the brethren, that's the people around here in this room, the people that are other believers in Jesus Christ, and now how are we to love them? Fervently with a pure heart. David Guzik, he says, holy living is incomplete if it is not accompanied by love. We have to have love, family. I think we've all had those bad examples in our lives of a holy roller that had like no love, right? They just told you what you were doing was wrong. They just were telling you how you're going to hell. They just told you all the bad news. But they extended no love for you. We are to have a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And not just one brother or sister. Not just that one best friend, but the brethren, it's the family of God. It's all the people in this room. We should have a genuine love for one another. And how should we love them? Fervently and with a pure heart. That word sincere, it's undisguised. It's without hypocrisy. It's a trustworthy, straightforward, and genuine love for the family of Christ. Again, undisguised. There's no hypocrisy. You're not just trying to get something from them, right? Oh, they started working where? I got to get that discount. Hey, brother, how you doing, right? I love you. Or you start selling insurance, so now you start inviting everybody over your house. Because I love you, brothers and sisters. But do you have insurance? Have you ever thought about getting this and that, right? No, there's, there's no disguise. There's no hypocrisy. It's a trustworthy, straightforward, and genuine love for the family of God. Again, family, does that love, is that love in you? Where the moment service is over, you're like, man, I got to get out of here because I don't care about these people, right? But you don't say that, but sometimes our actions show it, right? I don't want to be here. I want to be here for the service because I know it makes me a better Christian. But after that, I'm out. I'm done, right? No extracurricular activities for me at church. I just got to get the Bible. It's just between me and God, you know? 
No, God is telling us we have to have a love for the body of Christ. Lots of scriptures here. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It tells us, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. That's the love that we should have. Giving others preference over ourselves. That was Romans chapter 12, verse 10. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul tells them, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. God himself teaches us that we should be loving one another in the body of Christ. Doesn't matter the year. Doesn't matter the pandemic. Doesn't matter the government. We need to be loving the body of Christ. It may look different. We may need to come up with new ideas because of the seasons that we're in. But God himself teaches us that we need to love one another. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1, it says, Hey, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so some have unwittingly entertained angels. We should have a love for one another. And now that verse 2, one of the brothers was telling me last week that his dad would pick up hitchhikers and like the worst hitchhikers, right? That's not necessarily what it's telling us here. When it's speaking of strangers, it's talking about strangers in church, new people that you haven't met, people that you don't know. We should not entertain them. You don't bring out your kazoo and you show them your like sick magic. No, you don't. That's not what it's about. It's to be hospitable to them. Hey, let's go out to eat. Hey, come over. Hey, let's go to this and that, please. We need to be doing that. We need to be practicing that. Finally, let's all turn to 1 John chapter 1. And here's sort of the big one, right? From the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. It tells us, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Again, we need to have a love for one another. If you backtrack there in chapter 4, verse 20, he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Family, do we have a love for the body of Christ? Do we have a desire to fellowship with one another? Is that desire there? Is that love truly there? We need to have, we need to be developing a heart of genuine love for the body of Christ. God's word and God himself demands it from us. 
He demands that we love one another. It's one of his demands. It's what he's teaching us. It's one of the proofs that we are saved is that we have a genuine love for the body of Christ. And then he continues back in 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, this same thought of having a love for the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. He tells us, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, and the grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this, the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Again, in verse 2, he compares seeds there, right? And we know that we have a natural love for our biological brothers and sisters because we were born of the same corrupted seed. Same corrupted seed. Corrupted through the sin of Adam and Eve. We were born of that same seed, right, or out of that same parent. And now we have this love for one another because, hey, that's my brother, right? What Peter is saying here is how much more should we have a love for the body of believers with the seed of God's word that will never be corrupted and will last forever? Our love for one another, and I might get myself in trouble here, needs to exceed the love that we have for our biological brothers and sisters. Because if our biological brothers and sisters are not saved... We're not going to see them for all of eternity. Now that should drive us to even more so preach the gospel and share the gospel with them so that they would be there in heaven with us for all of eternity. And again, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble, especially with all the Hispanic moms here, right? What are you talking about? Family is number one. Family is forever. And I was chewing on this. Just biblically in the New Testament, where do we see more weight placed? On the family and the brothers and sisters of Christ? Or our biological brothers and sisters? Where is there more weight placed? In Scripture, scripturally. Again, later on you could take me out, like Pastor Razzle said, you could take me to Wendy's for a Frosty and we could sit down and talk about this, right? There's a whole lot placed on husbands and on wives. There's a whole lot placed on children and parents. But as far as brother and sister... I don't see any comparison to the weight that is placed that we should have in a love for one another more so than our biological brothers and sisters. And I believe more than ever before as parents, we should teach this to our children. We should teach this to our children. Digging my hole up deeper and deeper with the Hispanic moms here, right? What are you saying? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 47 through 50. In verse 46, it tells us, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. And this is the reality which I believe is quickly coming to the world that we're living in. Matthew chapter 10 verse 34 through 39 
Let's start in verse 32. It tells us, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And family, I believe more than ever, these verses, it's the reality that we are quickly approaching in the day and age that we're living in. You have people calling in about their parents saying where they were on certain days. You have people calling certain businesses saying, did you know that so-and-so posted this or believes in this or was doing this? It's from their own households. It's from our own families. And now if we're telling our kids, hey, blood is thicker than the Spirit of Christ, we're teaching our kids wrong things. And again, in my years of being in youth, I've seen a lot of kids that wanted to grow and flourish with the Lord, and their siblings really didn't want it. But the parents said, no, we're a family unit. You have to stick together with your siblings. And sadly, that sort of just threw the couple of cold water on the kid and lots of them they're not running with the Lord as much as they could have possibly because the parents said no you have to stick together as brothers your blood your but it's corruptible seed God's word tells us how much better would it have been to let that one brother run with all their heart for the things of God hoping that they'd be that example to now bring the other siblings into the same place and we've seen that happen how much more do we need to cut off the things of this world even when it's from within our own household family? That's why we need to be careful. Where were we talking about it? It was with the young adults, I believe. And we were talking about Saul. We were talking about Jonathan. And Jonathan, he gave all his armor. He gave the right to the throne to David. He still respected his dad. He still loved his dad, but he saw the frailties and the sin and the inconsistencies in his father. And he said, you know what? You're going to be the next king of Israel. And it tells us that Jonathan and David, their hearts were knit one to another. And that's what we should have within the body of Christ. We shouldn't think it's crazy that we have a tighter knit and a tighter bond here with some of the men and women in this room than we have with our own biological family members. We shouldn't think it crazy. The Bible teaches us it. Now, should we just cast them aside? Should we say, forget about you? No, our hearts should be broken and wanting to share the gospel with them. We should be praying for them, calling them out to the love of God. We should be demonstrating the love of God even more so. But especially for the youth, especially for our kids, especially for the young adults, parents, I'm imploring you, teach them the truth that sin is sin, whether it's family or whether it's stranger. And the same is true for us, right? The family parties, the this, the that, the third. What's more important? 
coming to church, gathering together as saints, or the next family pachanga, right? What is more important to us? We got to weigh out the scripture. Lord, what are you calling us to? But the day and age we're living in, again, now it's deemed none of this is really essential, right? Thanksgiving isn't, Christmas isn't, church isn't. But we need to be filled with joy that, man, we get to come to church tonight. We're blessed to come to church tonight. There's people wishing, desiring that they'd be able to come to church tonight. And because of our comforts in the U.S., we sort of pick and choose when we go, right? Ah, today's a good day. Today's not a good day. Today's a convenient day. Today's not a convenient day. That our hearts would burn for that fellowship and love for the body of believers. Because as we saw, again, through grace, through faith in Christ, we're saved. We're being purified through the Holy Spirit for obedience. And the way that obedience is shown as complete is when we have a genuine love for the family of God. So again, parents, brothers, sisters, be careful just telling someone, no, you have to stick with them because that's your blood. Be careful with that, right? What have happened to Jacob, right? If him and Esau, he just had to stick with Esau. He had to go down the road that Esau went down. It would have been terrible. So again, for us, that we'd have a genuine love for the family of God. Do we cast off our family? No way. Do we start our own commune in the woods? No way. We need to share the gospel with them. But to have things in their proper order and fashion. Now we look at verse 24 and 25, right? Why should we have an even greater love for them? Because the love we have for our brothers and sisters, biologically, hey, it's through a, a corrupted seed. But the family of Christ that we have, it's through the seed, which is the word of God. And that seed lives and abides forever. Family, God's word will last till all of eternity. God's word will never, ever be destroyed. And we'll see in a moment, part of the natural desire of a Christian should be taking in God's word. That should be our natural desire is to want the word of God. Again, has there been any other book so attacked as the Bible? Has there been any other book throughout centuries of time that is pinpointed as this is evil, right? This is hate speech. This has to be fact-checked as the day and age that we're living in, right? There's no other book. Bernard Ram, he says, a thousand times over, the death bell of the Bible has been sounded. The funeral procession has been formed. The inscription cut on the tombstone and committal read. But somehow, the corpse never stays put. Again, God's word, it's always alive. It always flourishes. It always finds a way out. Charles Spurgeon, he said, God's word never dies. And God's word, it never changes. There are some who think we ought to get a new gospel every few years or even every few weeks. But that was not Peter's notion. He wrote and he was divinely inspired to write concerning the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Again, we take church for granted. We take the word of God for granted. I take the word of God for granted, right? What's the first thing I have to do in the morning? I got to check my social media, check the 401k, check the news. No, the very first thing I should be doing is, man, checking in with God, checking God's word. Again, if we believe in biblical truths, then let us believe in the biblical truth that God's word is the most important thing for us. 
It should be what lights our path, right? The lamp for our feet, the light for our path. Our definition of family, our definition of morality, our definition of marriage, our definition of sexuality, it all needs to come from God's word. Again, our definition of sin, our definition of salvation, it all needs to come from God's word. We continue in 1 Peter chapter 1. Now we jump into chapter 2. And he continues through this same thought. He says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Right, the place to really start here is verse 3. Have you tasted that God is gracious? That's the question for us. Have you tasted that God is gracious? Do you believe that you've gotten everything you deserve? Do you believe you haven't gotten a lot of things that you don't deserve, right? Or, you, man, things you did deserve and, whew, thank you, God, I didn't get that, right? Again, in, uh, in middle school and high school, I thank the Lord I didn't get all the things I deserved, right? I don't think I would have gotten through high school or any of those diplomas if I would gotten all the things I deserved. Again, and God is gracious. His riches towards us. The love he has for us, we don't deserve any of it. The fact that we're alive, that we walked in here tonight, all the goodness of God given to us and bestowed on us, have we tasted that? Or we say, nah, God's not that gracious to me. My life is terrible. It's awful. It's this, that, or the third. No, every single one of us, we've tasted that God is gracious. And if we have tasted that God is gracious, and in light of his word, in light of the love that we should have for our brothers and sisters, in light of the fact that we should be holy as he is holy, we need to lay aside all malice. We need to lay aside all deceit. We need to lay aside all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Again, it starts off with our mindset. Where are our thoughts? Do we have those malice thoughts, those evil thoughts? We want to hurt someone, right? We want to do evil to someone. We need to lay that aside. All deceit, right? The things we lie about. Sometimes I laugh at the things we lie about, right? The size of the fish or how good you are at a sport, right? How good you are at something. Uh, the way we talk, we need to lay that aside. It's a big one, hypocrisy, right? It's a big one. You come into church and almost everyone, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Everything's awesome, right? If you're with them, like it's sort of those movies, right? Uh, rewind 30 minutes ago, right? The fight on the way to get here, everybody's screaming at each other, get the kids dressed, where's the food? Everybody's screaming at each other, screaming in the car, everybody's mad. The moment you pull into the parking lot, the parking lot ushers are there and you don't tell them what happened on 122 in 2nd uh, Street, right? But one block over and we're all smiling. We need to lay that hypocrisy aside. We need to be real. We all blow it. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And when we think we need to like protect that and keep that from others especially the body of Christ we're doing ourselves a disservice because the Lord is wanting to pull that gunk out and the Lord uses lots of times the body of Christ to pull that stuff out man I fought with my wife today wow I, I do that sometimes too right no we do that all the time 
We fight, we sin, we mess up. That hypocrisy, it needs to come out. The other thing that needs to come out is acting like one person in the world and another person here at church. Right? At those family parties and gatherings, are you a different person than you are here at church? When you're out there at school and at college, are you a different person there than you are at church? When you're with your coworkers and your buddies, when you're at the barber shop, are you a different person than you are at church? Again, that word hypocrisy, it's those two weird masks that they have in drama, right? And it's talking about being able to put a different mask for every act and every play. And you know, this is the family mask, right? Take it out, put the family mask. This is the family mask when other people are around. Oh, and then I put that one on, right? This is the mask when I'm at church. This is the mask. We need to lay that aside. That word laying aside is like throwing off dirty clothes and filthy clothes, right? Are you like super careful when you got clothes that are all full of sweat? I've been doing some woodworking this week and you get all filled with sawdust and sweat and it's just like this paste that's stuck on you, right? Uh, Ella cracked me up. I was there eating dinner and she's, she's looking at my arms. She's like, what's wrong with you, man? She starts feeling my arms. She goes, Dada, do you have leopard seed? <laughs> she thought I had leprosy, right? Because I just had sweaty sawdust stuck all over my body, right? Before I jumped in the shower, did I like treat those clothes super special, right? Did I fold them and put them away back for my wife? No, I just threw those things in the corner, right? Just get that off of me. That's the way we are to treat this list that Peter gives us. We're to just throw that away like stinky, dirty clothes. Hypocrisy. How about envy, right? Gets hit again, right? Social media is just a plague of envy. We're just saying, oh, I want that. Oh, I need that. Oh, I need to look this way. I need to act this way, right? They have certain plastic surgeries now for girls to look at the way their filters on social media look because they, they look in the mirror and it's like, that's not the way I look. I look like this filter, right? And now there's plastic surgeries just for that. The envy we have. Oh, look at that boat. Look at that marriage. Oh, they're on vacation again. We need to get rid of that envy. We have so great a salvation and finally, all, right? If, if we didn't sum it up there in that first part, all evil speaking. I get blown away at people who are able to talk without being able to say mean things about people. I don't know, it just blows me away sometimes. It's like, wow, this guy never says a mean thing about anyone. They only have nice things to say. And we should practice that, right? I was listening to a teaching by Joe Fox. He goes, try it. Spend a whole day without saying a negative thing about someone. The world will still function everything's still going to happen, right? And now there's a difference between correcting someone and speaking evil about them. Correcting someone, that's the biblical thing to do. It's going up to them and saying, hey, I love you, I care about you, this is what the Bible says, this is what you're doing, this is what we should fix, I'm here for you, I'll, I'll be your accountability partner. Man, I struggle with those same things. If I'm doing that, hey, call me out, pray for me, hey, let's pray, let's get better together. That's what we should do. But instead, what do we really do? Man, so-and-so, they do this, and they do that, and they do the third, and can you believe that? And then they come, and what do we do? We pull out that hypocrisy, right? We pull out the mask. Hey, how's it going? Everything's fine, everything's great, everything's dandy. You know, we need to lay aside all evil speaking, get rid of all of it. And now, what should we be feeding on instead of feeding on malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking? What we should be feeding on it's the pure milk of the word. That's what we should be feeding on. 
Here, Peter, he's talking about it in a good light. It's not like, I believe it's Hebrews that tells us, hey, by now you should be wanting the meat of God's word and you're still drinking the milk. That's not what he's talking about. Here he's simply talking about it as the desire that we should have towards God's word. Does a baby have like pen out with the mom when they're hungry, right? Like, oh, I feel bad. It's like four in the morning. I ate like two hours ago. I'm not like really that hungry. My stomach is like this big, but I'm not that hungry, right? So I'll just, no, just, right, just screaming. The desire they have for the milk of the word of God, right? That's what we should have. They have it for their mom's milk, but we should have that same desire for the word of God. We shouldn't have to have been or feel bad when we say, hey, I got to go read my Bible. No, hey, I want to go read my Bible, at work on our lunch break or we're at a retreat. It's so funny to me. Sometimes we're like at church retreats, a church-sanctioned event, and I feel bad going and reading my Bible, right? I don't want to, like, mess up the fellowship here. No, we should have that desire for the Word of God, family. And that's a big question for us. Another question for us tonight, do we desire the Word of God? When was the last day that you said, man, I just want to sit down and read my Bible and actually do it, right? Because then we should be screaming until we're able to sit down and drinking, right? And being before God and His Word. And the Word of God, it's so powerful. It's so amazing. Again, I'm studying like crazy different Bible studies every week. But there's nothing like those moments when I get to sit down in stillness and quietness and get to read God's Word not as a pastor having to chew it up and type it out and get it ready and then give it to you guys, although it's a blessing and it's a joy. But when I'm able to just sit down, and right now I'm reading through Second Chronicles, and wow, God, this is what's happening. Oh, Lord, thank you for convicting me. Oh, Lord, thank you for encouraging me in this. Family, there's nothing like it. And some of us as believers, we don't know what it's like to be able to just sit down in stillness and quietness and just take in the Word of God. And again, Peter told us it's going to last forever. Everything else is going to burn away. It's going to wither away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, right? 1 Corinthians 13, it tells about all the gifts, but love endures forever. So again, as we leave tonight, two things we should be loving, two things we should desire. It's the word of God and the love and fellowship of the brethren. So just two practical things. Hey, how can I grow this week in my relationship with God? My love for God's word and my love for the body of Christ.